You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. If you have a Bible, do me a favor, open up to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 15, is where we're going to be today, 1 Samuel 15. While you're turning there, uh, let's get on the same page. So we as a church, we've been going through this book called 1 Samuel, asking the Lord to speak to us through it. And man, we've been seeing some cool stuff. We're about to get to the hero of the story, this guy named David, who is just gangbusters. He's awesome, but we're not there yet. Uh, we are at the tail end of the, the first king of Israel, a guy named Saul. You guys might remember the story about Saul, how basically he... Um, he, he came from obscurity. He came from nothing. Uh, the, there was a prophet who led Israel before Saul, and then Saul was the first king of Israel. He was the guy that God anointed to accomplish his purposes for his people. And I said a thing last week. I'm just going to say it again real quick. Um, the, the story of Saul has the potential just to scare the bejesus out of us, particularly like if you're guilt-prone. If you're guilt-prone, it's really easy to read you into Saul and think, man, God is angry at me, and God is ready to ditch me at the drop of a hat, and that just is not true. Like Saul, I think it's important to remember, number one, Saul was, un, like, just so that we know, like spoilers, God is going to leave Saul in the story, all right? But Saul's different from you and me in two capacities. Number one, uh, he, he's under a completely different covenant or relationship with God than we are. Saul was under the old covenant, the, the Hebrew covenant, that was based on people keeping the Jewish law, 600 plus commands. You and I are under a covenant of grace through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, meaning that God does not behave towards us as our sins deserve. Like that your sin, past, present, and future has been wiped away by Jesus. You are in, you are in, you are in. So don't read the story and be like, oh man, if I, if I, if I drop the ball one too many times, God's done with me. Nope, that's, that's a cross you don't need to bear. Number two, it's also important to remember, like we're gonna see later on, the Holy Spirit's actually gonna leave Saul. And sometimes we, like, I've known people who come from very legalistic traditions, like who believe, okay, man, again, if I mess up, the Holy Spirit's going to leave me. I think it's important to remember that Jesus promised at the Last Supper that the Holy Spirit would be with you forever, okay? The Holy Spirit was upon Saul to lead the people of Israel. And once Saul stopped being the leader of the people of Israel, the Holy Spirit left him. The Holy Spirit is in you and in me to form us to become more like Christ, perfected until the day of redemption. Different covenant, different relationship, different filling, different, different, different. Okay, all that stuff said, here's one more thing you need to know before we get into the story. And I promise we're going to read the Bible together, like a lot today. So, where we are in the story, we've seen God reject Saul as king once, but it actually happens twice. The first time God rejects Saul as king is because uh, what Saul does is he's just negligent. He does a foolish thing. He's impulsive. And uh, God's like, listen, you didn't trust me. You trusted people. And that's not good. Now what's going to happen is this. A command of God comes to Saul through a prophetic word. And Samuel speaks to him. And he says, listen, here's what the Lord says to you to do, Saul. You need to go and wipe out this group called the Amalekites. All right, don't leave anybody alive. Don't leave the livestock. Leave nothing alive whatsoever. Completely destroy the Amalekites. Now, here's who the Amalekites were. The Amalekites were a group of people. They were a pagan nation that lived near Israel. And we first encounter them during the Exodus narratives, like and with, the, with the Israelite conquest with Moses and Joshua, like hundreds of years before this. And the Amalekites, when the Israelites were leaving uh, Egypt and coming into the Promised Land, the Amalekites were kind of shrewd. And they went, you know what? 
These people are unstoppable. Like their God is with them. And so we've got to attack them on the spiritual front to get their God not to be with them. So maybe you remember the story, there's a guy named Balaam that they hired and Balaam like tries to prophesy against them. It doesn't go well. It doesn't happen. He's got a talking donkey. Like it's a great story. You may like talking donkeys. Why should I believe that? Because God can do anything. Just like if you believe in a God who made everything from nothing, a talking donkey by God is not that hard. So anyway, so anyway, Balaam realizes that he can't curse them. And then they realize, you know what we can do? We can seduce them. We can get them to be cut in relationship with God by compromising them morally. That's exactly what they do. And as a result, the Amalekites are allowed to remain for hundreds and hundreds of years until this moment when God says, go, I'm with you right now. Now is the time to end the Amalekites. Wipe everything out. And so here's what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 15, starting in verse 7. It says, Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, near uh, the, the east border of Egypt. But look at this. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. Now, wait, he's supposed to kill him? Yeah, we didn't do that. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle and the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. So here's what's going on, okay? God commands, wipe it out, and they go, yeah, except for the good stuff, like the good stuff we can use. Okay, so like, we'll get rid of the stuff that nobody needs, like we'll get rid of the, like the, the bad animals, but like we'll, we'll keep the really good plunder because let's say, why, why let it go to waste? I mean, my gosh, it's right there. And so what they do is they say, all right, even though God said this, we're going to do this. Now, how many of you have ever been there in life? Oh, let's go. Okay. Where, where what you do is you go, all right, listen, yeah, I know the Bible says that, but in my situation, it doesn't apply because here's this thing that looks really good to me. Like, yeah, I know it says that, but you know, I think if I were to sit down with God, he would understand my situation. He would understand why that doesn't apply to me. And we're just like Saul in this moment where we're going like, okay, yeah, it says, but. And what you need to know is that God isn't exactly a fan of that. And so our story continues, chapter 15, verse 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I've made Saul king because he's turned away from me not carried out my instructions. Now we understand where Saul's heart is even more. Before it was negligence. Before it was him being impulsive and fearful. But now he goes, listen, he's turned away from me. Like, like literally, I turned his back on God and not followed my instructions. Now, I want us to pause. One other thing just to note in that verse right there, where it says, I regret that, that I've made Saul king. Um, this is not so much a word about God's knowledge as God's uh, heart and feelings. Like, the, the word that we translate as regret right here, it's a, it's a neat word in, in the original Hebrew there. Um, so the way Hebrew works is, like, words are almost kind of like... Um, I don't want to say puzzles, but they have different components. And, and depending on the way that the word is used in a sentence, like parts of the word can change. So like the beginning of it can change. You can add a letter and it changes. Like it'll make it say from or to something instead of just the place. Like you can change the ending. I mean, like depending on sing, singular and plural and stuff like that. So like just words in Hebrew change depending on how they're used. This particular word here in the original text, the way that it's structured, the form of it occurs one other time in the entire Bible. Like, when the word that we translate as I regret, okay, it occurs one other place. And here's where. In Genesis 6-7, when God looks at the sin of humanity, he says, I regret that I've made them. Right before the flood with Noah. 
And it's not a word, again, it's not a logistic word. It's not that God is surprised. It's not like he's like, oh man, I shouldn't have done that. Like, no, he, he, like, from day one, he knew Saul was going to betray him. He knew from day one Saul wasn't going to carry this out. It's a regret in terms of experience. Like, this guy has broken my heart. And I think this is important for us to understand as we go into the story to have the right mindset about it. Because something to understand about God, and you just, you just need to know this, is that God feels. He feels. Yes, he knows everything. But he's infinite enough that his heart can break seeing everything. He hasn't become callous towards the world and unmoved by it. God feels, I think sometimes we picture God as like this machine up in the sky. Do you know what I mean? And like, like you pray, it's like a slot machine. If it's his will, cha-ching, maybe something will fall down, you know? Or, or, or we think if he feels anything, it's only in response to judgment, right? So if like the, the incorrect view of God, we think, okay, if we do good, he feels love. If we do bad, he feels anger. And that's about it. But do you understand that the author of your emotions has them? And yes, yes, he, yes, he's perfect. And yes, he never lets his emotions get out of control where he sins, of course. But understand, like, it's absolutely possible to break the heart of God. You don't believe me? Man, read this book in the Old Testament called Hosea. Hosea is a, is a, a book where God speaks to this prophet named, conveniently enough, Hosea. And, and what he tells him is, listen, my relationship with my people is like a man whose wife has cheated on him. And, and he goes, and, and like you reach this point where, where God is even saying, he's like, listen, I have to let them be carried off. I have to let my people be destroyed because it's the only thing that's going to break their will and turn them from all the evil stuff that's happening. And even then, God cries out in Hosea. He's like, how can I give you up? Remember that? Like, like, how, like my, my heart is torn within me, he says. Like God says, my heart's broken. My heart's torn within me. You go to the New Testament, it's not just there. Go to the New Testament. We can read in Ephesians 1 how God has given his grace. It says that he's lavished it on us, meaning God gives us more grace than our sins actually need. Think about that. That same book, Paul writes in Ephesians 4.30, he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you've been sealed for redemption. Like, grieve? Yeah. We can look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels. Remember that story where Jesus is heading into Jerusalem? Remember that? And he looks at the city and he goes, oh, Jerusalem, say that stones and kills the prophets. He goes, look, I've sent people to you again and again. And he goes, I just, I, all that I want is to draw you to myself and you won't let me. And he begins to weep over the city. Remember that story? Why? Because God feels. And the same is true right here in this story. Like, every, like what Saul has done is he stabbed God in the back. And he's broken his heart. So look at it again. It says, I regret, verse 11, that I've made Saul king because he's turned away from me and not carried out my instructions. And this is a neat little detail. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night because remember, Samuel loves Saul. He hates that this is where Saul is. So it continues. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told Saul has gone to Carmel. There, he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned down to Gilgal. We got problems. 
So just here's what's going on. Okay, so Samuel, he's, he's striving. He's praying for Saul all night. He's bothered by what's happened with Saul. And so he gets up in the morning, a little bit groggy, and he, and he heads to the military encampment where he knows Saul will be. But when he gets there, he finds out, yeah, uh, actually, you just missed him. He went down and he made a statue to himself just to commemorate how great he is. He's actually down here now. So just, I want you just to imagine this situation, all right? So now you've got Samuel, who's an old man, right? Samuel, like remember, he was the leader of Israel before Saul. He lovingly handed it off to Saul. Imagine Samuel walking into the military encampment and you can smell the smoke of the fires and you can see people rallying and celebrating because they've won the battle. They did the great thing. I mean, the atmosphere was one of joy, jubilation, and celebration. Imagine you know, Samuel sort of walking through the crowd, weaving between guys. Imagine Samuel like, hey, have you seen Saul? Like, where's Saul? He, do you know where he went? Oh yeah, he, he's over there. And imagine, imagine there's Samuel and he finally, he finally makes eye contact with Saul. And there's Saul, who thinks, job well done. Man, I did good. I did so good. I made a statue of me. I did so good. So look at, look at this. Verse 13, when Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Hey, man, you won't believe it. We did it. We did it. Remember the command. Wipe everything out. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What's the lowing of cattle that I hear? Oh, you wiped everything out. That's the funniest thing, because I hear barn animals. Saul answered. Oh, yeah, well, don't worry, man. The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Okay, we kept this stuff for God. But we got rid of all, all the other stuff. Look how spiritual we're being, man. We love God in this camp. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Well, tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, oh, man, now we're going to see it. Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. If you've been with us the last several weeks, rewind. Remember where Saul was when God found him. Remember? Remember this, this humble guy that has no influence, who just completely believes that he's nothing. Remember like Samuel pulling Saul out of obscurity, like when Saul was there looking for donkeys. Remember that? And, and, and Samuel looks at him and he goes like, like all of Israel is gonna turn to you. And Saul's like, am I not a Benjamite? Remember that story? Remember how Saul saw nothing to his name? All he remembered, like all he knew of himself was, I am not enough. Do you remember that story? Think of how things have gone now. Saul is so enough in his eyes, he's building statues to himself. But go back to the beginning. Like, even when you were small in your own eyes. I mean, I, Saul, you used to believe you were the least of your entire family. And what did God do? He loved you. He made you king. He, he put a royal robe on you. Do you remember? Hey, church, do you remember where God, or where you were when God found you? Remember? Remember that stuff he forgave you of? Come on, me too. Remember that stuff he wiped away? Remember, remember how he said, listen, okay, I know you did that, but I love you, you're mine. No. 
think back over that experience, like just the kindness of God. And Samuel goes, Samuel goes, he made you king, and this is all that he asked of you. 15 verse 18. He sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you've wiped them out. So Saul, verse 19, why? Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But remember, our thing we learn about Saul is that Saul is anything but repentant. Whenever he's confronted, he always doubles down on where he's at. So it says, verse 20, but I did obey the Lord. Saul said, I went on a mission, the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. Listen, the soldiers took some of the sheep. It's really the soldiers' fault, man. You need to talk to them. The soldiers took the sheep and cattle and, uh, from the plunder and the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord God at Gilgal. In other words, yeah, we kept some stuff, but it's only to honor, like we're just going to sacrifice it to God. Isn't that what God wants? Like if I give him something, isn't that really what he's after? Here comes the kicker. Verse 22, but Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Hey man, God doesn't need your sacrifices. The earth is his, everything. Like, what are you gonna add to God? He doesn't want that. He wants your heart. Does the Lord delight in what you can give him as much as listening to him? Here's our line. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. In other words, Saul, Saul, even if you were to give him the most costly portions of the best livestock, even if you were to give him the best among all that you have, you know what's better than all that? Being obedient to what he said. And here we are. And I get the feeling sometimes we're not that different where, look, we don't, we don't sacrifice animals. We're not under that. You know the sacrifice we offer? Worship. Like, what, what do we do? We get together, God, I'm going to offer you my sacrifice of praise. And it's been my experience. Um, there's just some who approach this church thing, this worship thing, this relationship with God thing, almost identical to Saul. Well, here's what they'll do. They'll go, All right, listen, I've got these gifts that I can give to God. And as long as I do that, everything else is fine. Because look, I gave to God. Like, why would God call me on this when I'm doing this over here? Like, we get folks who come in and serve and they have no interest in repenting of their sin. All they want to do is make a difference. They're, like, they love to serve. Like, God has wired them to serve. But the service comes before the heart things. They go, listen, all right, okay, I'm going to be part of this. It'll be great. And yet, they'll live completely against Christ the rest of the week. But they'll show up early on Sunday and they do it because, man, look at me. Look what I did. Because the truth is, huh, sacrifices require way less than us than obedience. Like I can, I can give to God stuff and I never have to deal with me if I do enough of it. But no, no, to obey is better 
than sacrifice. Right now, like that's the crux of this message. To obey is better than sacrifice. Look, man, you come in and, and you want to honor God. If a man comes in here, okay, and he goes, listen, all right, guys, bless me. I'm going to tithe. All right, he decides, all right, 10% of my income is going to the work of the Lord on the earth. And yet he made that income deceiving other people, defrauding other people, manipulating, calculating, stealing. Is that tithe any good? No. Why? Because there's no obedience there. If a person comes in and, man, they love to worship and they sing out to God, they've got the most beautiful voice. And they use those same vocal cords to berate their spouse during the week. Is that worship any good? No. You decide to be religious. I'm going to go to a Bible study. And you read the scriptures. And then you don't repent of the sin that you're confronted by as you read them. Was the Bible study making you right? No. Why? Because to obey is better than sacrifice. But I gave God my Tuesday night. I gave God my Saturday morning. I gave God my Sunday morning. I gave God a little bit of my mind. God doesn't need any of it. He wants your heart. And it amazes me how much we think God will turn a blind eye, almost falsely, like we create this weird version of God that's not found in the scriptures. He's found in us, like in, in, in our rebellion. It's, it's a not real God. Let me say it like this. So um, I've told this story here before. A little while back, I was doing a wedding. And uh, I like doing weddings sometimes. And other times not. This one was pretty good. Before the ceremony, I was talking with this guy who was the best man, and uh, he's not a Christian at all. And so he came up to me, he said, so you're a priest. And if you want to know how you can insult a Protestant pastor, <laughs> throw that card on us. Showed him the grace and love of Jesus. Like, mm-hmm, you know. And I was, oh, well, you know, I used to be a Christian, but I'm not anymore. I said, really? What happened? And he goes, well, you know, I just, as I thought about it, I thought the idea of sort of all-knowing, all-powerful God was just too unrealistic and unbelievable. I went, okay, so, you know, what do you believe now? Because everybody believes in something. So, like, what do you believe now? And he goes, well, now uh, I follow the Norse pantheon. Norse pantheon. Yeah, like the gods of the Vikings? Yes. Well, that's much more believable, okay. Um, <laughs> all right. So, I'm like, I'm like, so do you worship all the gods of the Vikings? He goes, no, I, I just worship the ones that, that best suit who I am as a person. I said, okay, so which ones are those? And he goes, well, I worship Odin because I'm wise, clearly. And, and I worship Thor because I'm strong. I said, Thor, yeah, like the superhero Thor. Viking god Thor with the hammer. Yes, I worship Thor. Okay, well, now my mind is spinning because I have all the questions. I said, well, I've never, I've never met anybody who worships Thor. And he goes, he goes, really? I said, yeah. He goes, that's crazy because it's the fastest growing religion in America. I said, I did not know that. <laughs> so now I got to know the answer because this dude's going to put me out of a job. I got to know what's going on with Thor. 
So, so in your view, what happens when you die if you're worshiping Thor? And he goes, well, if you die in battle, <laughs> you go to Valhalla, where you can drink all day and brawl all night. I said, okay. Then define battle for me, because I want, I want the ins and outs of this, all right? Like, what's battle? He goes, you know, like following your dreams and stuff. Don't waste your life. Check. Okay. And, and just so that I'm clear, because I, you know, I, I, I do worship stuff a lot on, you know, Sundays and for my job. Uh, how does one worship Thor? He goes, oh, it's great. What I'll do is if I'm out at a bar, I'll take two drinks. I'll take one for me. I'll pour the other one on the ground for Thor. And by the way, that's the most gangster worship I've ever heard. All right? All right? And the more that I'm talking to this guy, I just realized something. I think this guy just has a drinking problem. Because everything about his religion is what allows him to drink. Like, seriously, like, without fail, every component that he described was, can I have some booze? Consequently, he ditches the Christian God who would say, if you're getting drunk, it's a sin. No, thank you. Like, and, as, and so he goes, like, I'll just worship this thing over here. And we laugh at that. Right? Because we go, like, how unrealistic to, like, don't you realize there's something bigger than you? Like, if a God exists, he's not going to conform to how you think he should behave and just acquiesce to your every whim. We think that's ridiculous. Until so we realize that we do the same thing with the Lord. Where, okay, we'll put the right God's name on it, and then we'll think, okay, but he's fine with all this stuff that I do. Right? Like, it's okay, like, it, it, okay, yeah, I know the Bible says that, but here's why my situation is different. Here's why it's okay for me to, to manipulate, to gossip, to control, to complain. Here's why it's okay for me to steal. Here's why it's okay for me to cheat. Here's why it's okay for me to blank, 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 blank. Why? Well, because my God would never have a problem with it. Years ago, we had a guy who was serving in our worship band, who began to openly cheat on his wife with many different women. So we removed him from the worship band. And his response to doing that was, I'll never get exploded on me. He just went, my God would never judge me like that. How dare my pastor? I don't know what God you're worshiping, dog. But look, and that's extreme, but listen, this attitude of, okay, my thing is okay because it's mine. Here's the thing you have to, this is why obedience is so much more powerful than sacrifice. Because God has revealed to you who he is through what he's asked of you. Like, do you trust him with this is how the world works, the author of creation? No, this is how I've made it. And if you rebel against that, you're going to do so to your own destruction and the destruction of those around you. Now, we don't think that way because what we think is if, okay, if I just do 90%, the other 10% is fine for me to keep. But here's the truth. This is what we see in this story. This is what we see in the scriptures. This is what we see in your life and mine. And you just need to know this. Partial obedience is still disobedience. It is. Partial obedience is still disobedience. Okay, well, yeah, you know what? I love people really well. I gave this homeless shelter. And you're pocketing some of the money from the homeless shelter. No, that's evil. And you want to know how big a deal this is, by the way? Because we just go, okay, you know, nobody's perfect. We've all got our stuff. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know how God sees that? To, to approach the scriptures, to approach his standards of life and be like, yeah, I'm, I see that, but I'm not gonna. 
Samuel's next statement, verse 23. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. Conjuring the dead, or you could translate that as witchcraft. And arrogance like the evil of idolatry. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, like contacting the dead around these things like the occult. And arrogance, meaning I'm going to do it my way, is like worshiping an idol. Like would any of us ever look at psychics, mediums? Would anybody ever look at somebody with a pentagram around their neck doing seances or, or worshiping Satan? Wickedness. Like, would anybody ever look at somebody doing that and be like, yeah, it's in line with the Holy Spirit? You can't do it. No, of course not. Of course not. And Samuel goes, you want to understand how God sees it? It's like that. Disobedience. Knowing what he said and saying, no, I won't. That's like worshiping another God. That's not a small thing. And you know, so it's, it's cost you everything. So look at this. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he's rejected you as king. And we go, oh, okay, so you know what? Ouch. But maybe Saul will have a repentance moment. He doesn't. Watch. I'm going to show you. Watch. Verse 24, then Saul said to Samuel, okay, yeah, I've sinned. All right, you got me, all right? I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, so I gave, okay, okay, you want to know the truth? This is why I did it. Now, I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. Samuel, okay, I screwed up, but let's go praise God together. But it's not in the worship at all. I promise you're gonna see it. So look at this, verse 26. But Samuel said to him, I'm not going back with you. I'm not going with you anywhere. You've rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. So you got this, this conversation where it's starting to heat up, and Samuel turns to leave, and now Saul, he's realizing he, he could lose his power. Like if Samuel doesn't validate him in front of everybody else, Saul's in trouble, and so he goes to grab Samuel. Okay, Samuel, Samuel, Samuel! He grabs him by the, by the, the robe, and then look at this. Okay, all right. <laughs> it says... As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of his robe and tore, and, and it tore. Okay. He says, Samuel said to him, this is just powerful. The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. David, we'll see him in a couple weeks. <laughs> and Saul, you want to understand how God thinks? He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind. He wasn't surprised by any of this. He's not going to tell you something false. For he is not a human being that he should change his mind. And now we're going to see Saul's heart, verse 30. Saul replied, okay, I've sinned. But please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. Samuel, if you don't go with me, I will not be honored. And now we understand something about Saul. He has no interest in a relationship with God. He's after what God can give him. God is a means to Saul's end. Politically, he can see that, okay, listen, as long as I show loyalty to the Lord, the people will follow me. Let me preach you that in November sometime, okay? Like just for political candidates who have no interest in following the Lord, but they say all the right things because they want you to vote for them. 
And that's exactly where Saul is. Like, I need you to endorse me in front of everybody so that I'll be okay. So remember, God has said, listen, like Saul has turned away from me. And this is exactly what we see right here, okay? Listen, like God has simply become the means to Saul's end. He wants power. He knows he needs the Lord for it. And can I just for a moment here, because none of us are monarchs. None of us are, are, are kings or anything like that. We do this all the time. And I just want to ask you a gut check question for a moment here. Just chew on it. Take it in for a moment. As we look at Saul's heart, as we look at our own, let me just ask you, do you love God or what you can get from him? Which one is it? Do you love God? Like, do you, Lord, I just want to know you. And, and even if you give me nothing else, I just want to spend time with you. Show me your ways. Let me delight in you in the quiet place. Lord, I just, I want to be with you. I want to be like you. Everything about you, I just, I need. Please be in my life. Or is it, man, I'm really afraid of going to hell when I die. God can take care of that. I mean, I feel bad about me. I need somebody to forgive me. So God, give me a little bit of that. Mm, I forget to be good. Hey, man, you know, I got, a, I got a crisis going on. I need God to take care of it. Is it. Like, do you love God or do you love his stuff? You know, in our culture, we have a term for somebody like that. Who doesn't love somebody, but they're with them to get something from them. We call them gold diggers. In America, we call them Christians. Oh, shoot! How many of us, like, listen, we're not out this to fall in love with Jesus. We just want to be religious, and we're, we're, we have enough faith to believe that this is probably true. But any notion of loving God, surrendering him, and just, like, seriously, enjoying him. No, thank you. I'll follow God as far as I get what I want, and once I get what I want, I'm good. How many times have I had the conversation as a pastor where somebody says to me, okay, how far can I go and still go to heaven? How, like, like how close can I get to the line of sin and it not be a sin? How close can I get to, all right, I, I want to do this with this person. I want to do this in my job. Like, okay, would God be okay with it if I just, and it's the completely wrong question. It shows that your heart's out of alignment with the Holy Spirit. Because what you're not asking is, how close can I get to Jesus? Different, different, different. And what happens? What happens is we place our eyes on God's blessings rather than him. That's where Saul is. That's why fundamentally he's different than David. David sins. In Psalm 51, he prays, listen, don't throw me away from your presence. Don't take your spirit from me. Saul sins, and in 1 Samuel 15, he goes, Samuel, I need you to honor me in front of everybody. Different heart. One more story, I'll wrap up. It's an old urban legend about the construction of the Taj Mahal. You ever heard of the Taj Mahal? You know the Taj Mahal, right? Big, beautiful building in India. It was made by a guy named Shah Jahan. Um, the reason he, he built it was Shah Jahan had uh, a wife who he loved very much who died, um, and he built the Taj Mahal. He wanted it to be a place where her, her casket could be, where she could be honored and remembered, and everyone would look at it and be like, wow, she must have been something special, and wow, she must have meant a lot to him. So he decided to build this big, gaudy, building. And, and I don't know if you've ever been part of a construction project or not, but they can be kind of stressful. Yeah. All those in the, in the, the, the home building industry would probably say amen to that. Yeah. There we go. There we go. So you have this moment where 
story goes, during the, the construction of the Taj Mahal, Shah Jahan comes in one day and he sees the place is just a mess. You know, like there's bits of wood cut left all over the floor, you know, scraps, sawdust everywhere. Like just, there's like, you know, bits of stone that are chipped. I mean, the place is just absolutely a pigsty. And he's walking through and he's getting really stressed out by the building because he's like, this is not up to where we need it to be. At this point, we're off schedule. And also it looks filthy. And like, you know, he's walking through and he can see the carpenters working and the stonemasons working and and he walks by this area where there's all these different like crates that may contain stone for the, the building. And as he's walking by, when he hits his foot on this crate accidentally, he begins to scream out in anger. And he's like, I can't take it anymore. And he, he grabs the closest foreman. He's like, get this nonsense, this junk out of here. And the foreman's like, what? He's like, get rid of those crates. Get rid of this crate right here. I just hit my foot on a stupid crate. Get it gone. Go. And the guy's like, but sir, he's like, no, I want it gone. All of it now. This needs to be together. This needs to be clean. So they obey him. They clean up the interior of the Taj Mahal, take away the crates. It's only later that Shah Jahan finds out that the crate he hit his foot on was his dead wife's casket. In that moment of, of dedication of let me build this thing, he had lost the heart of what he was actually there to do. How many of us, come on, we're getting good at the God game. We're getting good at the serving God. We're getting good at the, the representing God. We're getting good at the, okay, I'm going to do this for the Lord. I'm going to do this for the Lord. And, that, and that's fine. But, but we've lost the love for Jesus. We've lost the enjoyment of his company and presence. Come on. And I'm telling you this today. Because God loves you so much, he doesn't want to leave you there. And so let's just take a moment as a people. Let's just, okay, let's turn from our rebellion. Let's turn from our disobedience. Let's embrace the mercy and grace of Christ that's found for us in him. And let's lay hold of the truth that to obey is better than sacrifice. And we do it not simply out of obligation, but because we love the Lord who invites us to obey. So every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's just take a second, church. Lord, number one, we want to say that we're sorry for our sin. We're sorry for rebelling against you. We're sorry for our pride. We're sorry for our hard-heartedness, our arrogance. We're sorry for the times when your word has clearly told us something is wrong. We chose not to do it. We're sorry for the times where you've been pulling at our hearts through the promptings of the Holy Spirit, and we just suppressed it because we knew to, to, to follow that leading would be inconvenient for us, and it would require us to not get what we want. We're sorry. We are so sorry. Lord, we're, we're sorry for being a people who can get so obsessed with serving that we forget about obeying. Lord, I pray for my brother or my sister right now who, um, they're going like, Lord, I remember, I remember where you found me, and I, I remember the love that we had at first. Please bring him back. For the one who's like, God, I don't even know how I got here. This is your moment. 
This is your moment where he says, I'm not asking you to remember, I'm asking you to come back. Or would you draw them in through the kindness and presence and patience of the Holy Spirit? This is not a moment where stones are being thrown. This is a moment where God's redemption will shine. Be brokenhearted so that the joy and mercy of Jesus can shine through you. Lord, we lay it at your feet. We pray let your kingdom come and your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, bless you. Thanks for being here. If you're watching online, thanks for for, uh, joining us today. And uh, we'll see you all next week.